0: In the middle ages there was a monastery and there was a small fire that broke out and damaged part of the library and there was a young monk there who was heartbroken because he had been spending months copying by hand one of the books in the library and he thought that that work was now destroyed and forever lost but the abbot consoled him and he said actually what you were working on was itself a copy and the abbot said since i've come here we've been copying copies we have older copies in the basement I can get that book for you and you can start this project again so the abbot went down to the basement the young monk waited and waited and waited it was taking far too long the young monk was concerned maybe the old abbot had tripped and fallen and hurt himself so he went down to the basement and he saw the abbot was seated on the floor with a book in his lap and he was crying and the young monk he he approached him he said father Father, what's the matter? And the abbot, he held the book up and he pointed and he said, you see here the word? It's celebrate, not celibate. (laughs) I want to talk to you today about celibacy because our second reading from St. Paul is one of the important New Testament texts about this. And I'm not so much, I don't want to talk about the issue of ordaining married men or not ordaining married men. There are some married men who have been ordained priests in the church, but rather the value of celibacy and why the church has valued it from the beginning. It is not uh, a medieval invention designed to protect church property. Uh, Its origins go to the very beginning of Christianity. So we have, uh, well, and and just one of the reasons it's important is because it's it's actually one of the aspects of our faith that is um, the most reviled or misunderstood. I remember when I was, was an attorney who uh, I had told the people in my law firm I was going to seminary to study to become a priest. Uh, some of them were quite supportive, but one of my colleagues, and I appreciate his honesty, you know we were talking about it, and he said, he said let me just get this straight. So that means that you're never gonna get married, right? I said, yes. I said, you're, he says, you're never gonna have sex. I said, yes. And he said, well, that's not natural. And you know something? He's right. It's not natural. It's supernatural. I want to talk to you about the supernaturality of celibacy. First of all, celibacy has a supernatural purpose, which is to make a person completely available for the kingdom of God, for bringing the kingdom of God to earth. St. Paul, in the second reading, he's not obliging anyone to celibacy, but he is recommending it for Christians. He's saying, I wish you could be as I am, because he himself was celibate. He said the the married person, you know, they're filled with anxiety about worldly things and about pleasing their spouse, whereas the unmarried can have this single-hearted focus on pleasing God. Now, St. Paul is not denigrating marriage. In others of his letters, he speaks about how marriage itself is a sacrament. I'll talk about that later. But there is a need in the church for certain people to dedicate themselves completely to the kingdom of God, to make God's family their own family and not to have another family that is their own family. And the fact is, you know, I gather regularly with Protestant pastors, all of whom are married. I'm the odd man out of the group, you know. And... Um, and uh, they are good pastors, most of them, I think, but, but every time we talk, it's kind of almost a support group. There's always this tension that they have between needs of their family and the needs of their congregation. And so they experience this on a regular basis. But celibacy doesn't begin with St. Paul. It begins with Jesus. And we have to go back to the 19th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Now, remember, in this chapter, the... Uh, Pharisees are bringing to him the issue of divorce. And Jesus says from the beginning, God's plan was that man and woman become one and nothing should separate them, right? If one divorces and remarries, one commits adultery, Jesus says. In response to that, the Apostle said, well, if that's the case, if you're stuck with your wife no matter what, it's better not to get married at all. That's what they say. And then Jesus uses this occasion for a profound teaching. He says... Some are born eunuchs. Some are made eunuchs by others. And some choose to become eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept it who can accept it. So let's go back and let's just figure out, first of all, a eunuch, okay, the literal eunuch was a man who was castrated. Not, not, Not something I think we should practice. I don't think it's a moral practice. But he was castrated so that he could guard the king's Wives and daughters. And not be, not pose a threat to them. Okay? Think about that, though. So that was a literal eunuch. Jesus says some are born eunuchs, which which by that he meant some are born incapable of marriage. Okay? For for some reason. Okay? Uh, And then he said some choose to become eunuchs. Not literally in the castration sense, right? But in the sense of forsaking marriage for the kingdom of heaven. Okay? And... Scholars believe, actually, that Jesus uh, brings this up in response to rumors and murmurs about him. Because he was in his 30s, and he was unmarried. And that was very unusual in Jewish society in the first century. Likely, they were saying behind his back, what's wrong with him? Why isn't he married? Is something wrong with him? And so Jesus says, no, some choose to become eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And then he says this, let anyone accept it who can accept it. Every Christian as they're growing up needs to discern if in fact that is the state of life. Not even as a priest or religious necessarily. But that is the state of life to which God might be calling you. Now, c- celibacy is also referred to in the New Testament as a charism or a gift. Many people think of it as a curse. A curse. And I think that's because our culture idolizes erotic love. Okay? Uh, it's not just an issue of celibacy; it's an issue of the virtue of chastity, which every Christian is bound to observe according to their state in life. Before marriage and during marriage, there are times even during marriage where uh, there's reasons for continence, for abstaining from relations. So, but our culture then is against that entirely, right? We believe that you should always act on your urges. So that's part of the problem. But God chooses some people to be in this intimate relationship with him and the church. And to to them, he gives a spiritual assistance, a grace. A grace to become passionate lovers and prolific fathers and mothers. Jesus also said that anyone who gives up home and family for his sake would receive a hundred times more in this life, and I experience that as a priest. I feel blessed. I have a very big family. I have many homes. I know if I asked any of you guys, I could probably stay in your home for a couple weeks, right? Now, does it involve sacrifice? Absolutely. It can be very difficult at times. It involves discipline, but this is also true of a good marriage. Spouses in marriage must sacrifice often in many ways. They must have discipline to be faithful to each other. Finally, so uh, celibacy is supernatural in its purpose, uh, 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 single-hearted devotion to the kingdom of heaven. It is supernatural in its source, which is a calling from God and a grace from God. And And it communicates a supernatural message. The celibate person is like someone who is walking around all the time with a big billboard that says... The end is here. Prepare yourself. (laughs) Okay, what do I mean by that? Last Sunday, Paul wrote to us saying, the world in its present form is passing away. This world, no matter how long it exists before the second coming, is temporary. Our lives are limited. There is, the process has already begun. Christ has begun the process of a new heaven and a new earth. One of the details that Jesus gives us about the new heavens and the new earth, he says, even if you're married in this life, you won't be married in the next. Rather, you'll be, he said, like the angels who are not married. And so everyone is going to be celibate one day. Okay? Uh, some of us start a little early. And it doesn't mean marriage is not important. Again, let's go back to this. Marriage was instituted by God as the most common way for people to live a faithful and fruitful love. And it was created by God as a sign of the relationship between God and his people and between Christ and his church. So it is a sign designed to make present that loving relationship that God has with his people. But after this life and in heaven, the sign gives way to reality. All of us have this intimate communion with God and one another in eternity. So celibacy makes sense from a supernatural perspective. Supernatural in its purpose of single hearted service to the mission of the church. Supernatural in its source as a gift from God and a witness to our supernatural destiny. And when you think about it that way, celibacy is something to celebrate.